that I was able to go to school, that I was able to like get like um, the, the that the chances I had in life, that I was able to like be lucky <laughs> in that sense. You know, we're talking about luck. That I was able to have you know the space to you know create my own luck to do my own things was largely because of my mom. Excellence is like at every point, am I giving my best? Am I giving my all? Right in. Let's say you are writing an essay, right? Am I giving my very best in writing this? Like, even if I fail that essay, mm-hmm. I know I gave my best. Yeah. I couldn't have done any better Absolutely. than it. Hi everyone, Samuel here and welcome to another episode of Stories That Shape Us. This week on the Black Changemakers series, we've got with us Henry Anumudu. Henry is an educator and storyteller committed to making quality education accessible to all, especially children and young people in low-income communities. Henry's work and dedication to excellence is inspiring. And in this episode, Henry talks about his upbringing, lessons that he's learned and pivotal moments in his life. This episode has to be one of the more emotional ones for me, as we also spoke about grief I'd love to give a special appreciation to Henry for taking us through his life's journey and being vulnerable with his experiences and lessons learned. I'm confident that you'd have a lot to learn from this episode. Please listen in. Thank you. Hi, Henry. Thank you very much for joining us today. How are you? Thank you so much. Um, It's really good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Fantastic. Well, like I told you already, we'll start with rapid fire questions, right? Okay. Just to okay. start on a very um, like light, easy, easy note, or moving through deep areas and stuff. <laughs> so, a couple of questions. You have five seconds, literally, to okay. like yeah. give answers to them. What's your favorite book ever? I would say Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you could have three apps on your phone, what, what apps would those be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have my um, I, I, my, my LinkedIn app, right? Okay. Number one. I would have my, um, my Bible app, mm-hmm. right? Number two. And I would have... Um, which, which apps am I using really well these days? Um, and I would have my Outlook app. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. So, like, if someone was to like look for you on, say, um, LinkedIn and yes, have, use the same like handle. So yes, okay. Henry Anumadu. But on Twitter, I have an underscore at the end of my name because my name Henry Anumadu was taken by someone who has who literally has two tweets <laughs> and hasn't been on Twitter for like a whole decade now. <laughs> I wanted to hear what you think your own bio was in your own words great question because every time i have to write a new bio (laughs) (laughs) i I always have to like you know spend i always spend quite a lot of time on it trying to Mm -hmm. craft it to fit uh, every period of time Mm -hmm. you know i'm in so if i want to craft my bio right now say you know henry anumadu is a storyteller Mm -hmm. educator and a researcher the researcher is quite new because of my masters and a researcher who is um who is passionate about making a difference in the world mm. and is asking, you know, questions and challenging, you know, norms that help him break through, um, you know, age old um, 
um, ideas that still keep us, you know, back mm-hmm. from make, from attaining, you know, whether it's um, self attaining either self actualization or even success as a society. Yeah, I saw this online. A little bird told me. Okay, <laughs> so this online, and um, there are some quotes of yours. Actually, yeah. Yeah. I don't believe you even remember this. Okay, and they are so deep. For example, you said, "Life is worth living." If it is lived beyond the self or oneself, hmm. do you remember writing that song? I'm not sure. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, <laughs> life is worth living if it if it is lived beyond the self. Another one, I, I will, I'll just give two more. He said, um, in a world where we deeply admire extraordinary achievements, we may need to learn again how to live ordinary lives extraordinarily, extraordinarily well. Do you remember that one? Oh yes, that's that's more recent. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's go one more. Let's yeah. go one more, actually. Um, to be courageous is not necessarily to go anywhere or do anything except to make conscious those things which we already feel deeply and then to live through the unending vulnerabilities of those consequences. Mm, yeah. I remember making that statement because they were inspired by, you know, a book I was, re- I was reading okay. at a particular point and I really loved... Um, the analysis this author at mm-hmm. this point was given about the was writing about the meaning of courage right mm-hmm. so yeah i remember writing that as well i think sometime in 20 sometime maybe around april 2021 so okay yeah okay let's talk about giving back a bit okay, okay. so um 2017 you were a communications and media officer in the company in Abuja, and you quit that to join um to volunteer as a teacher um in Abirakuta. and after that started sharing life africa and I, I was reading that story and i was thinking to myself what could have actually made you do that i think for for me to even talk about that period i probably need to go you know a bit back mm. right because i think the question you are asking is that's giving back value right where does that come from yeah. and so on and i probably need to think about this a little bit more and i know quite a few people have asked me the same question and when i think about it i often wonder maybe maybe it's a natural tendency <laughs> maybe mm. it's a natural tendency maybe it's upbringing maybe it's the type of books i was reading when i was growing up maybe it's um the people I had around me when I, were, mm. I was growing up, I need to sit down and you know bring all this together. But when I was a kid, I remember thinking about, and this was actually very related to you know a kind of very traumatic incident I saw or I experienced as a kid growing up, where I saw um, I kind of knew or heard about this family who had gone through form of um i think it was a road accident you know mm. it was like devastating for the entire family you know there was like a lot of deaths and so on and a lot of people at home were talking about this and i was thinking i was like eight or nine or so i was thinking about this i was just trying to wrap my head around the whole thing of probably brevity the brevity of life i guess every eight year old in some way are philosophers right <laughs> i was trying to wrap my head around this whole concept of life ending at some point and you know the the few survivors in the family in this family now having to 
kind of come to peace with mm. that. And I remember thinking, what is the point of everything <laughs> if yeah. things can just be cut short suddenly? And one of the things I was thinking in my little mind then was, you know, it, does, it then doesn't make sense, like, you know, start out building, you know, this huge, um, you know, life when it's going to be like cut short. Mm. It's not, it doesn't make sense to pile up all these things. So I guess then that kind of oriented me towards certain kind of, um, either certain kind of um, dreams, mm. certain kind of visions for my life certain kind of aspirations for myself and for those around me. I think I, you know, when I think that's the very, that is the first instance um, where I started really trying to craft my own life. And when I think, look at my history, for example, I don't think there were, there was ever a time where I was talking about my future and thinking about maybe I'm building wealth, for instance. Mm. <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't like part of the kind of conversation I was having, right? So my first aspiration, for instance, was, you know what? I wanted to be um, a priest, right? I was Catholic. My family was Catholic. And going to church every Sunday, I felt like, hmm, that is something I would be that would help me not get too many things. Hmm. <laughs> right, okay. Right? You have, you are, you are, you know, celebrate without a family you know without the idea of not having you know just that many property mm. you know you move a few years from one place to another you know with just your bag actually changing the lives of so many people at you know everywhere you go and you know so you just felt it felt very attractive Wait, and this was conversations at eight years old yeah i was having in my mind right that's so. deep bro that's actually that's actually that's actually so, deep that's a very so deep yeah story. well to be fair maybe it's now that i'm 29 when i think back yeah. i give myself you know this so much sophistication to my thoughts it was probably simpler then with just much yeah. more you know um abc kind of um, logic to everything i was thinking about but yeah, so at nine, I was supposed to then choose where I would go to for my um, secondary school education. And we're going to my mom and saying, hey, you know, I heard about this form for the Catholic seminary. I would love to go there. Right. So I went to, you know, a minor seminary, a Catholic seminary. That was how I got my education. And so, um, of course, I was in, um, in a Catholic school in a minor seminary. So you can imagine the um, education I got there, which is one of, you know, of service, hmm. right? Of um, responsibility, of contributing to the world, of, you know, of study, right? Of discipline, of things like that. So that formed, you know, one of the, I was, I got into Justice One boarding house when I was nine, got out when I was um, um, 17, 16, thereabout. Hmm. And yes, so that formed a lot of my, upbringing that kind of you know conversation you know um, education in that sense so it then makes sense right that mm. i would then have this much more broader that even now as a 29 year old it forms a basic part of my kind of the, my outlook towards life that's anything i'm doing now any career choice any um, projects, you know, programs, collaborations. I'm always thinking, 
what kind of difference does this make in the world, mm. right? That is how to sell me on anything is to convince me that it's going to make, it's going to give my life meaning. Mm. And so that gives my life meaning, an impact on the world, a contribution towards the world and others around me. You know, that's where I get sold. That's amazing. Because even before this podcast, right, I remember we had a conversation and I know one of the things you were saying was, um, you said, if you could give any advice to people in their 20s is to stop thinking about this, the future as some place where they don't like, aspire to get to, but to think about what they're doing right now, right? Um, at eight years old, nine years old, did you like have any role models that, you know, modeled that impact lifestyle that you, you know, wanted to yeah, go into? That's a great question. At eight years old, I was, um, again, I came from a very Catholic background. So in Nigeria, there's this kind of, there's this association called um, Block Rosary Crusade, okay. right? So the idea of Block Rosary is to have like young kids um, in particular neighborhoods go every every evening, mm-hmm. go, you know, congregate in a particular space and they pray together and, you know, they reflect on the Bible and they, you know, they sing, they dance and, you know, just prayer, kind of lead a kind of prayer life and a different kind of education where we look at the lives, kind of aspirational lives of um, saints in the Catholic Church and reflect on certain principles upon which they live their lives, mm-hmm. right? So as a kid, it's it's saints, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's this towering saints who live their lives um you know, kind of um, doing very simple things extraordinarily well, extraordinarily well, not having, um, there was really no kind of example of, let's say, you know, extraordinary wealth, for instance, Mm. you know, billions and things. It's just people who live their life on really strong principles, right? It on honesty, integrity. And for example, the quest, the quotes you made at some, you know, before at the beginning of this conversation, where you said, you know, we need to start learning how to live ordinary, you know, lives extraordinarily well. That came from a saint, Teresa of Lisieux, hmm. right? She was um, a nun in a monastery. She didn't really live very long as well, and her her that was her mantra. Every in everyday life mm-hmm. is to say, you know, if I'm cleaning this desk, I'm doing my very best at it, right? If I'm uh, if I'm sweeping this passage, I'm doing the very I'm being the best sweeper of this passage. It kind of reflects also a principle um, Martin Luther King Jr. right uh, lived by. There was a really interesting quote. He also has to that like to be the best of you know mm. anything um, you put your hands on. So. Yes, that that's also. I think that connects really well. It's interesting that you made that connection actually, because I think um, you know, in my in my own life now, I get asked often that you know um, how the progress or the advancements you've made, whether in your personal development in your career, mm. how come, right? And it's the same thing I always say. I say by being present, mm. right? If I'm a teacher. I'm being the best teacher there is. If I'm a non-profit founder, I'm being the best non-profit. If I'm a volunteer, I'm being the very best at it. And I believe strongly that by being present and by giving to our, 
you know, to 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 the very stage mm. we are at a given time that unlocks the next step for us. I think we may need to like dive deep into the concept of bests in itself, right? Because when when you say best, it can easily be confused as some form of um, a comparative, mm. you know, kind of um, expression in terms of bests as regards what, exactly. right? So, and I don't think I go about thinking about, you know, mm. in that specific, you know, term of in comparison to what. At every point, I guess I'm, I, I guess the, the, the value you have to bring in here now is like, you know, the value of excellence, right? You know, which is different from, you know, perfection. Right? Mm. Yeah. Excellence is like at every point, am I giving my best? Am I giving my all, right? In, let's say you are writing an essay, right? Am I giving my very best in writing this? Like, even if I fail that essay, mm. I know I gave my best. Yeah. I couldn't have done any better Absolutely. than it. Mm. You know, there's some work you do and you're like, ah, you know, I could have mm. done a little bit better if I applied myself a little bit more, right? So that work, like, you know, deep down, you didn't give your all, mm. right? So that is what I mean. It's like with all you have, with all you are, with your talents, right, your capacity at every point in time, are you using all those stuff in your work or in your personal growth, right? I guess that is that is what I mean when I say best. Right. Giving your best at each point in time. It's not a call to say, hmm, am I doing better than the next person mm. in this project, right? It's not. When we talk about best, it's often, you know, comparative, but it's best as regards right yeah it's very interesting i i I mentioned that because um a couple of weeks ago like we're talking myself you and odinaka and blessing were having a chat and um odinaka mentioned i think one of like your attributes or qualities and she mentioned this idea of like excellence and how you've channeled that in and it's so interesting to see how you know even back to when you were like eight years old (laughs) to see how all these little conversations and um like aspirations have shaped in, in, into who you you into who you are now. But tell me a bit about like the other like life defining points for you. So if mm. what, what was one? What other points in your life would you look back at and say, ah right, this you know marked the way in which I, this marked the change in the way I think. This marked the way into which I, it marked the difference in the way I see the world. Like, do you have any other such um, you know pivotal moments if I put it that way? Yeah. Okay. I think I would interesting questions um so i guess i'll i'll talk about one so i grew up um really introverted very shy young boy. no way <laughs> yeah i know no, right? <laughs> no i did no. i did it was it was terrible it was this terrible shyness right because I don't believe that, right? shyness, right? Introversion and, and uh-huh. being shy are like two different things. Right? Okay. So we have to make that clear. What's the difference? Sorry. I think introversion is um, is how um, we manage our energy, mm. right? So um, introversion means, you know, I kind of, I'm, I'm more energized when I'm alone, mm. right? When I spend time alone doing my own thing, that's where I get more my own energy from. 
And with extroversion, I need that, you know, external stimulation from conversation with people and just being outside. That is where I get my energy. So that's the difference between extroversion and introversion. But shyness is just, you know, um, a kind of um, um, withdrawal, mm. you know, from um, people and um, from that, you know, external conversation and communication with the outside world. It's almost a kind of um, inability to be able to, you know, put yourself out there and, um, you know, either speak, act, or make a change happen, right? Mm. So extroverts can also be shy. You know, introverts can also be shy, right? So um, confidence in that sense, um, which I'm, I'm going to use in this case as, you know, as uh, maybe the other spectrum, the, uh, the other spectrum mm. of shyness is um, is a skill right, that can be learned. You know, no, in in my opinion, no one is born confident, right? We mm. all we all have to learn it growing up. So that's why I say, you know, introversion is not the same right. as shyness. Yeah. So um, what question? Yeah. Um, so I grew up this shy. It, it's so bad. I was there was a time I was walking with my mom down the street. And I saw this, you know, group of boys that I knew, and I literally went hard left. Whoa! I'm like, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to encounter anyone. I mean, what was like? What's going on? was. She knew, right? She's like, ah, she was laughing at me. She's like, oh my god. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's a good picture of how you know how <laughs> how crazy it was. But I guess you know just. I think one of the, I say that because one of the pivotal moments for me was when I was um, at church, right? I had the responsibility. I was the only one who had to organize things like, you know, Bible studies, mm. right? You know, um, seminars, stuff like that. I had to lead in all the stuff. I was 18, right? And there was no one else to do that. I had to do that. I had to step up, you know, responsibility, you know. I had grown up with, that, with those notions and values of responsibility and discipline. Right. So you dare not, mm. <laughs> you dare not not do that. So um, it was pivotal for me because for the first time I was doing all these things and I was discovering that, ah, I actually enjoy speaking in public. <laughs> I really enjoyed doing this. And you know what? I was good at it. Right. So reflecting on it, it's almost like I was it was a thrust. I was I was forced to come out of the shell. Right. And often I think, hmm, if I didn't have that opportunity where I was forced to do these things, will I be this person who could comfortably, you know, go up in front of a thousand, five thousand mm -hmm. people and comfortably give an address or engage in a conversation? Would I be this person now? Um, I'm not sure, but I'm glad that opportunity came and I was left alone at this, you know, particular point in time in my life where I had to organize events, mm. speak in public, answer questions in public, forced to prepare and read and create, you know, speeches and, you know, mm. series of um, seminars for conferences. So, And I was just 18, which is like, you know, the perfect time to start mm. For, for a boy to start coming out of a shell. So, yeah. Um, so that that is one that's really, um, that really changed my life. And 
do you mind if we talk a bit about that actually? Okay. Um, if you don't mind, because like just hearing you speak, like mm-hmm. of course it, it makes me again like appreciate the value of mm-hmm. values that put mm-hmm. that way. So diligence, responsibility, mm-hmm. and but it also makes me like appreciate the value of the environment people are in mm-hmm. because that to some degree like affects them. Yeah. Um, right, or influences them in some way. Yeah. But I'm 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 also conscious that there are perhaps some listeners to this mm. podcast who maybe for some reason don't mm. have this environment yeah. where what would your thoughts be to people that are like okay well I want to you know improve in this area of my life yeah. maybe see or maybe my family isn't supportive or well, not supportive but my family doesn't necessarily give me any opportunities to explore yeah. environments that yeah. do that what would your thoughts be to such people that are looking to yeah. make a difference but don't have like an enabling environment, quote-unquote, yeah. default basis. I would say, you know, just thinking about this whole thing of, you know, me building confidence and public speaking skills and all this stuff, I think I was lucky. Mm. Right? In the sense that I got that environment to do that. I was lucky that somehow everything just aligned and I was in this situation where I had no other choice mm. but to do this. But then after that, I started creating other opportunities by myself to expand on that skill. And I became known as, oh, you know, if you want someone to speak in public, this is your go-to guy, mm. right? And it occurred to me at some point, I think we were supposed to go for like a one-to-one stuff, but it didn't cure, you know, that shy boy though, did right? Not. It did not, right? And that's the crazy thing, right? I was speaking with um I was speaking with someone. I was supposed to go for like a one-to-one kind of, you know, conversation, you know, stuff like that. I've forgotten the exact circumstance. And I'm like, I was speaking to him, I'm like, ah, you know, I you know, I can't do that. I'm 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 really shy to engage in all those things. And he laughed at me, he's like, ah, you know, you you speak in public, you know, mm. a thousand people, you speak to a hundred people, and you say you're shy. I didn't reply, but it wasn't it was an interesting paradox to say, oh, how could I speak in public but not, mm. you know, but then the it's easier for me to do the public stuff, but the one-on-one stuff is like, oh, I, I don't want to engage with that. So the point is in going to all those rants is like, you know, we all have that opportunity to create our own luck, right? I was lucky, but we can also create our own luck. Right. If you want to, you know, build that kind of, for example, on the topic of you know confidence you know maybe you know kind of come out a little bit more mm. raise your hands in your classroom you know raise your hands and stand up and ask questions you mm. know stand up and answer questions start small right because you want to start small you want to build you know that lead, that confidence yet in public speaking bring your friends together do like a, a presentation right mm. with your friends in a small room and you know, start small because you don't know. Maybe you might actually be a natural at this, right? But you don't know because you haven't tried yet. Makes and sense. even if you are not a natural at this, you can also build a skill, right? Almost everything I know are skills that can be built, right? Mm. Not very, very, very little. Are actually, we're actually born with very little, right? In fact, there is um there is a school of thoughts that say we are born tabula rasa. Mm. right that means we are born with nothing yeah clean slate yeah and we are born clean slate right this is um john locke right it's philosophy but it says we are born tabula rasa we are born with nothing and mm. anything we have after birth is um, from experience we build it ourselves 
So um, if they are right, that means you're in luck. We are right. all we are all in luck. Yeah. <laughs> it's anything we see out there that we want, we can go get it. We can just go build the skills, um, and um, and get them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Do, do you have any other like life defining moments that you want to talk about? Um, I think maybe maybe I, I would really point out how books, um, you know, have helped you have helped me okay. i think those books are also like defining moments for mm. me um when we're doing the rapid you know i mentioned crime and punishment mm. right and it's but at the same time i read crime and punishment in 2015 right okay. right but i was a different space in 2015 i wasn't you know, a different um, frame of mind, different circumstances. If I probably read um, Crime and Punishment now, it would be, it would have a different impact mm. in me. So, but what the book, you know, gave me was just to, it gave me an understanding that, um, you know, happiness is not conditioned by my station in life it's not something that is due to you know how much i have or how materially comfortable mm. i am in life that it taught me it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that um even people who are you know have less materiality than i am are probably happier than I am, mm. right? And if I want to change my life, I have to go out and change it mm. and not let the fear of, um, you know, um, having less right. in life stop me from making the important changes I need in order to be happier, right? It's it's crazy that, like, you might actually read the book and not get this. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the point. You might read the book and you'll be like, what is the, what's this guy saying? <laughs> It has, mm. current punishment has nothing to do with what you were saying. Yes. But that's because, you know, I was in, in a different frame where I was asking this question and somehow the book, you know. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. I won't start talking about like the whole, the the, the storyline, the mm. plots of um, crime and punishment, but it was a good book. You know, right. Fyodor Dostoevsky is like, it's a really good writer who explores the human condition. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that is um that is one in twenty fifteen which actually got me to like, you know, I think it was around that point that I now made a kind of you I now made a certain change mm. into going into impact. Mm. You know, I started teaching. Right. I went to a Biokuta and stuff like that. And um another point in my life would be um would actually be teaching, right? Another, mm. <laughs> another really important point was yeah. teaching. It was making this really, I built this really deep connection with um, the community I was working with, yeah. with the kids um, in my classroom. I still am very much connected with them now. I also had the opportunity to work with really amazing people um, um, who also are in um, back home mm. um, in Abiokuta and they keep you know, they help me really stay in touch with the community, right. with the work that we do and so on. So, um, yeah. So that that is like 
I'm not really going deep into this yeah. experiences, but but well, yeah, like, so I, I should keep going. Okay, right? high level. I, yeah. I, was, I was going to um say I, I'll get a bit into teaching um mm. very soon, but fast forward a couple of years, or at least maybe two years ago, last year for me, oh. I'm on LinkedIn, and then I think I see this video, um, of some gentleman, some you know, gentleman on a video call with I think some students back home and this gentleman this random gentleman let's just say we don't know who he is um you know talks to students and like inspires them about their makings of course it's you i'm talking about if you don't know right now um and i remember seeing that and it made such a profound impact on me like just seeing the facts that there were people that were and are intentional mm about ensuring other people have more opportunities mm. to grow and to and I think that partly touches on like the teaching and and how you got into that space and hearing you speak about like excellence and whatnot it's little one that I'm, I'm so sorry I know you're like a modest guy but I'm going to blow your trumpet a little if that's okay like so like to hear the president the vice president you know like mention your name in a speech to see the amazing things you do people that are getting to partner with you like providing sanitary pads for several hundreds of girls um investing in education these children and did you see yourself when you were starting? Did you see yourself? Did you imagine that you were going to somewhat get to or do some of the things that you're currently doing right now? No. Really? <laughs> no. I had I have no idea. Right. So the interesting thing is when 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 I started teaching in 2017, right? Even in the beginning of 2019. So we started sharing life Africa in um August not August is like officially we say we started August, but mm -hmm. we started way before then. But trust me that the beginning of 2019, I was still of the opinion that no, I'm not starting, you know. Really? A non-profit. Yeah. So it was, I think it was towards the end of my time with the kids in the classroom. I realized that, hmm, you know, we we had built so much here. And we were only starting to scratch the surface, mm. right, of the problem. And I felt like, you know, we, we have a shot at this. We have a shot of making a difference within this community. So mm. let's build something. Let's do something that kind of, that keep it going instead of, you know, just letting everything, you know, fizzle out. So actually, when we built Share Life Africa, you know, I built Share Life Africa before. You know, it's almost, now it's much more bigger than that. But at the, at the beginning, it was a kind of a very small, to serve a very small mm. amount of kids, which is like 72 kids in my classroom. To mm. say, hey, you know, I want to serve these kids in my classroom. I want to serve them. I want to serve their families. I want to serve their communities. That is why, you know, I'm doing this, right? And it's the story of these kids, right? It's mm. a story, the struggle they've gone through and still standing and still, you know, um, I'm going and still aspiring, you know, that keep me going. And that is why, you know, we built Sharing Life Africa. But now, of course, it's serving even um, much more children and much more communities. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I didn't see myself starting it. But, and and it's hard work, right? <laughs> it's hard work to do that while trying to manage several other things in mm. one's life. But it's um, it gives me meaning. Right, okay. So, 
back to that point in 2017, I think as I was starting this conversation, right, about you leaving your job and um, starting getting involved in education, it sort of makes sense now, given your context about why you made that switch. You wanted to create more meaning for other people and create impact. Tell me a bit about actually getting involved in education in Nigeria, particularly in like the public health space. What was that like for you making that, for lack of a better word, like leap of faith, right? Because like you had a fairly comfortable job and into starting that. And what sort of skills did you like learn? What sort of things mm. did you learn? Lessons did you learn there that, mm. that I think have also like shaped who you are just now? Yeah. So I, I guess you mean a public education space, not public health? Public, thank you very <laughs> much. Public <laughs> education, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah uh, okay, okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, Honestly, for me, it was very, it was like, again, considering where I'm coming from, considering my story, it was, it was a no-brainer. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. So, it, yeah, it was a no-brainer. For me, as a person, I'm considering my history and where I'm coming from. And um, I remember I had already been volunteering. Right. A few hours per week, you know, doing this. So, I knew what I was getting, get, getting into. I knew... Mm the expectations I had from going into the classroom and teaching. You know, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I was, you know, really committed mm. to doing this, even with uh, while I was volunteering. I was investing even more hours than was demanded of me. So oh. I realized, like, you know, if I, were, if I wanted to do anything long term, it's going to be this. Right. Right. So um, I, and when I got into it, like, some of the skills I learned was really just how to um, have a vision, right? How to create a vision and bring other people along hmm. on that vision, right? So as a teacher in a classroom, you have to create a vision to be successful, especially in our public school system. You have to create a vision and get the children to buy into that vision and run towards it. Right. And sometimes the vision you are creating is, is at conflict with their present reality. But yet you have to create that vision and get them to run with it. And you have to learn how to build relationships, right? Not with not just with the kids, with even the broader community. You have to learn how to bring, you know, diverse people to buy into, you know, a bigger vision that, you know, they may not even be interested in, but mm. you have to get them interested in first place. And you know, you just necessarily have to learn that um, that skill of communication, mm. right? So at that point, I needed to to learn how to simplify my words even more. Mm. You know, anyone who knew me then would know. You know, I had I I was reading all these books. My vocabulary was like was huge. <laughs> I was using unnecessarily <laughs> big words, and I, had to, and I had to break them down. I had to simplify them, right, like in my everyday yeah. communication. That changed how I talked. That mm. changed how I communicated. Because you are going into class, you know, you have to speak in very clear, direct terms, and also, you know, just teaching. It just it has to make sense. Mm. So clarity in your words, and um, you know, just. Um, yeah, and you and I think as a teacher in our public school system, you just learn how to live just beyond yourself. Have to think beyond yourself every mm. day, right? Because you have like seventy kids in your classroom, and every day you are coming to school thinking about them, mm. right? What actions, what commitments are you making that would push the needle for them, not just for yourself? Right. right. 
tell me a bit about like how you sell that vision, right? So, for mm. example, I watched this documentary yeah. about you, the Bentella one. Yeah. I do. That's linked in the description for folks that are listening. So please, yeah. you should. Listen. I would strongly, strongly recommend you listen to that. And um, I listened to these testimonies of various students of yours mm. and how their perspectives on life was slowly changing into seeing they could be more than just, you know, what society had conditioned them to be and whatnot. Um, I think th- there's this there's this one that, that is particularly like noteworthy of mm. um, this mom mm. that would tell the this the child I'm going to t- I'm going to call Mr. Henry if you don't behave and and, and they you had built such a relationship with them that they had a lot of respect for you but they're also working hard towards their vision. Mm. Um, you raised somebody again. I'm sorry if it seems like I'm blowing your horn, but I'm just incredibly proud of what you're doing. Like you got some friends and raised some money to pay for the common entrance examinations of 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 the kids in, in the classroom and then i think you said about you know staying with them till six and all of them passing how do you break a vision that's big or sim- well maybe not big that's children could be more than what they're used to to children that young like how did you go about that relationships that's mm. the <laughs> that's that's the long and short really so the the more I think about it, the more I realize that, you know, I actually, it wasn't like I was the, the very good, you know, mathematics teacher or, or I was very good at teaching science or English. I think what I was just, you know, good at was building relationships, mm. right, with the kids in the classroom, was kind of showing them that, hey, you know, I believe in you. Mm. You can do it. Every day, reminding them that, you know, yes, you know, they are capable of this. You know, coming to class, if you want to teach, you know, just a really hard fraction to start with saying, ah, this is simple, you all can do it, you know. But let's, let's, let's go on, right? And it's just like building that, you know, really strong relationships and also showing each day that you are invested hmm. in them, you are invested in their growth, you are invested in where they come from, you are invested in knowing, you know, more about them. And sometimes that that may mean, you know, after class every day, you know, sometimes you just do like a little bit, you know, run around the community, visiting the kids in their in their homes, having conversation with their dads, with their moms or with their guardians, and you know, just um, you know, to just show face, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, show face around their neighborhood and saying hi and you know, sitting down with them. And so it's really having that deep relationship with the kids. So the next time you tell them, I need you to work hard to figure this formula out, this mathematics out. They're like, okay, I will. And they'll do right. it. Right? And they'll do it. Because I, I think half the job is just getting, you know, the kids to commit mm. to their own education. Right? Because you are working against so much within the environment, especially the environment within this the kind of communities, you know, where they come from, mm. the kind of things that they see, right? So, so many people, for instance, may have grown up in um, in families or environments where they're like, oh, you know, I want to be like my elder brother. Or, or I want to be like this, this um, woman, this lady, this man, you know, in this person's house. I want to, because, you know, maybe they are doctors, mm. they are, you know, doing well for themselves in life, but there are millions, thousands of kids who don't have this example, right? So in school, they are given something much more to, ex- to aspire to. And you, you know, it's, it's not just enough to come every morning and just say, 
right? You have to prove it, mm. right? You have to prove it. And something you also realize is that sometimes even the system, with even the system, the schools, the, the, the past teachers they have had as have kind of, you know, settings that mm. impacts, you know, that motivation, that self um, belief in themselves. So by coming and reassuring them and working every day and proving it, you are trying to untangle all this web. Right. That's amazing. And um, again, hearing you speak about relationships makes me wonder if, if that's one of like the missing pieces we sometimes have mm. in education. Uh, mm. Sometimes teachers just, you know, assume I'm just supposed to pass this, tell yeah. you about, you know, math or chemistry, you yeah. know, actually getting very involved into what people, into this life of their students is important. All right. We are towards like the tail end of, of, mm. of this, um, of this podcast. And, um, Fast forward to, you know, this year you've come for your master's at the University of Edinburgh. Again, your excellence, work ethic, like, um, efforts have, in a sense, quote-unquote, paid off. Um, Finished the distinction. Again, we're all proud of you. Thank Got um, an award for one of the best projects and also nominated for the Edinburgh um, alum. One? Yeah. That yeah. one, we are rooted. <laughs> like, yes, go, 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 Henry. But, um, I think it's very easy for people to see all of these things mm. and fail to realize sometimes the incredible work efforts you've put into this. Mm. Or sometimes fail to realize that life is not just always just linear. It's not just always like a straight mm. line. And st- Can you tell me, talk to me a bit about some of like the work that's been required to get to what, where you're doing. Walk me through what the behind the scenes looks like of all of these amazing results um, that we have. Um. You mean um, specifically during my graduate school, right? And for sure in Africa. Mm. Okay. So, I guess in talking about the amount of effort I've put in, trying the past um, two years towards whether my studies or um, my work at um, Shine Life Africa, I think, you know, you know when, you, when we were discussing about, you know, um, the pivotal times in my life, I actually was about to mention something, but I think we just didn't get there. Was um, um, in twenty in twenty twenty one, right? I lost, you know, both my I, I lost my parents, my mom. I lost my mom. I lost my dad. Okay, sorry to. And um, thank you. And so it was that same year that um, you know, I also got into um, school. Um, got like a scholarship, a Mastercard Foundation scholars program, um, funding to um, to study at the University of Edinburgh for a master's in African international development. So, on the back of that, I um, I remember you know coming back from the from the burial and and I was like mostly alone at home, right. For like months and I was literally it was a very I think it was kind of I was in it was a very difficult time for me you know very depressing time for me you know I was literally just going through the days right not knowing what, what was happening right and I remember then, I remember, you know, just traveling back to, you know, Abuja just to, like, 
immerse myself in the work and just do the work. And it was just a form of escape. And but I, I was telling my team, I told my team that, you know, don't tell anyone, right, what was happening, right? What was happening in my personal life. So the kids, you know, the teachers, the schools, you know, the government officials we're collaborating with didn't know anything about this. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's good, right? <laughs> because I wanted to escape. So I was using the work in so many ways to escape. So it was on the backdrop of that, that, you know, I then traveled down um, to the UK for my master's. And, but traveling also was a kind of, um, um, it came with a kind of feeling because I knew my family at that time, you know, needed, you know, needed me. You know, also we needed everyone present to go through this difficult, difficult time together. And to, to a large extent, it, it felt like I was just leaving, right? So I was in the UK with this kind of, this heaviness. And I really couldn't focus, right? I remember for months, I was literally just looking for distractions. I couldn't stay on my own, right? I couldn't stay without having something distract me. Whether I was having like a conversation, whether I was, you know, just doing just doing anything just to distract distract myself from my own thoughts. Right? And, you know, even when I went to bed at night, I was I'll put on brown noise. Right? You know, brown noise like this brown noise, white noise, whatever I'll put on music. You know, just so a form of something going on to distract me from my own thoughts. I was having crazy, you know, you know, nightmares at night. You know, I was anxieties and stuff like that. So it was at the back, back. It was that emotions that I took with me to graduate school. And I remember I I would have to write all these essays, and I really couldn't just sit down for five minutes to focus to write these essays. And I remember I would go like there was this library that is like maybe thirty minutes walk away from my from my um, apartment, and I would just go to that. I walk to that library to walk from that library because the thinking. And I had one that was like five minutes, the main library, you know, if more comfortable. But I walked to the thirty minutes one because I felt like if I walk thirty minutes to this library and I don't do any work, I'm going to think about my thirty minutes walk back, and I would just do something. Right? Mm -hmm at least a sentence, write a sentence, write five sentences to justify coming all the way out to this library to do some work. Mm. But, you know, in January, I, you know, thankfully I had the, I had like um, a community behind me, the MasterCard Foundation I'm team at the University of Edinburgh. And I reached out and, you know, I knew like I had, I needed some form of therapy. And, you know, I had that grief therapy. I had access to that, which, which did me a lot of good, right? Mm -hmm. For the first time, because I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't, you know, before then, I couldn't talk about my grief. I couldn't talk about my emotions. I couldn't talk about what I was feeling, right? I would, if you ask me, I wouldn't. This conversation we're having, it's a sign of my growth. Mm -hmm. It's a sign of me, you know, doing way better than last time, than, you know, 2021. And, you know, processing that those emotions processing the grief you know helped me i think for the first time people would ask me and i would talk right i would share i would share you know how difficult it, it had been and so much but but that's even from you know the emotional part that really impacted me 
then you know just going to graduate school as a you know just as, as someone who is even okay you know emotionally and so on it's a difficult experience especially someone if you're moving from you know our context in you know um our context really to study here in the uk it's different requirements you know different expectations different academic expectations and trying to even understand that and excel at that can be its own struggle and its own challenge and it can be overwhelming so but personally and this goes back to our whole conversation about being present and as always i was really just present that you know what what do i need to do what do i need to learn at this particular time in my life right so i needed to learn some of this really important concepts in international um, development you know what are the conversation researchers are having right now and so with every class i'm going into i'm thinking about it in the context of my work at sharing life africa right that is how i'm engaging with everything i'm thinking about because i had also grown to be some form of voice in development space back home in nigeria as well so I'm thinking about it in terms of, you know, what am I learning? You know, what can I use? How can I enrich you know, the way I'm thinking about these problems? So that is how I go into my classes. And that is how I'm reading, you know, my text. That is how I'm writing. So with every, every week, I'm reading all my recommended texts, right? So I'm engaging with my texts. And I didn't really, um, I have a problem with actually outcome-based goals, right? I don't set out outcome-based goals. I really don't like it. I, I, I much more prefer process-based goals. So I'm not, I didn't go, I didn't even think about, in grad school, I didn't think about saying, hey, I want to get a distinction. I'm sending a goal to get a distinction at the end of the semester. It's not my thing. It's not my style of how I approach life. I went in and what I said was, regardless of the challenges I'm going through, I want to learn from this process. So I want to read at least two of every essential text before I get into any class, just so I can understand what, you know, the conversation that is even going on. Mm. So I can contribute to that. So I can ask conversation, so I can ask good questions that help me understand better, right? So that is how I approached it. And when I'm writing the papers, I'm thinking, I just want to write a good paper. I want to do really good research beyond the text that are, that you know that were given by the lecturers and i want to write a good paper that shows my understanding of the research i've done right so but then it turns out at the end of the day that oh you know this actually were really good and i got a distinction and i became you know the overall best student in um, my cohort and i'm like cool right mm. it wasn't yeah it was nice it was but it wasn't a goal I had, so it wasn't that serious, but it was good. <laughs> it was a good feeling. So just, just to also add, right, like, I'm also, at this point in time, I was also really thinking about, you know, there's something I was thinking about, and that is in terms of, um, you know, social media has become something that is, like, very significant for all of us, right, for young people, um, for us, especially as Nigerians and as Africans, where 
sometimes want to create content and show an example of what is possible to people, young people coming behind us. And so I was, you know, really thinking about the concept of responsibility mm. in content creation, right? And responsibility in terms of, as I'm creating content, I have to realize that people are watching, right? Not younger people, you know, are watching and looking at me and also looking at me as an example. Mm. So it is important for me to be responsible with how I create my narrative, mm. right? Not create a narrative that is all... You know, that makes it look like all is easy, mm. right? Like there is no, I don't have to struggle to get what I get, you know, from school or from life. So I try to create a balance, right? Mm. So especially with my stories on Instagram, I would I would really talk through the challenges I was going through. Mm. I would talk about, sometimes I would talk about, you know, some of the, like the struggle, the emotional struggles, I, the focus struggles I, mm. I get. Sometimes I would like, you know, talk about that. Sometimes I will also talk about like, you know, the struggles I had trying to, um, the hours I spent trying to understand academic texts. Mm. Like I talk about how they are so dense that for a text of like 21 pages, I'm spending three to four hours at first trying to grasp it, mm. right? I talk about these challenges, but I, I also talk about, you know, you know, hmm, you know the, the, the good feeling it comes from, you know, getting, um, an essay right or getting an idea right or figuring things out. But I remember when, you know, the results started coming out and I posted on my story on my Instagram that, oh, you know, I got like a distinction from school. I remember a friend, you know, on Instagram telling me, Oh, you're on distinction track? Right. I'm like, oh, why? And you were, oh, because you were you talked so much about these challenges. I didn't know you were on that track. I'm like well, that is what it looks like. That is what excellence looks like. Mm. It doesn't mean you go and you coast, right? It's it's a hill you have to climb, mm. right? When you get when you get success at at anything, most people don't like just coast. It's not a beach you just like coast into, yeah. <laughs> right? It's a hill you climb. But somehow we've created a narrative that you know you know it's what success is like easy to get. You just yeah. need. There's hacks and there's shortcut and there's mm. stuff and you get it, right? Mm. So we are all then caught up in this race of looking for the next shortcuts, for the next, you know, um, easy path to mm. stuff. And so when we see people struggling through things, we think, mm, that's not the way, right? But that is the way. Yeah. <laughs> you struggle to it, right? Yeah. Um, of course, there are exceptions, but mm. most times ordinary people like us struggle to get things like that <laughs> that's that, that's very deep and um like you talked a bit about sharing your um about the ups and downs of your life on on instagram i think it was on linkedin you made it you made a statement that i, I consider very deep you said you think of yourself as the as an embodiment of your mother's legacy mm. Tell me a bit about that and how much like your mom's like influence. I think you, you went and say she um, has in a very large sense made you who you are in today. Mm. Talk to me a bit about that. Um, so I rem I remember just 
I remember like you know my that I was able to that I that I was able to go to school that I was able to like get like that the chances I had in life that I was able to like be lucky <laughs> in that sense you know we're talking about luck that I was able to have you know the space to you know create my own luck to do my own things was largely because of my mom you know when i look at the the what i call maybe a form of like um the confidence with which i approach life like it doesn't matter what's happening you know i'm okay kind of um contentment and it's i always trace it back to my mom right i can go like you know stories and stories but you know it's because of her because of the sacrifice she made in my life and in the life of like my brothers my sister that you know i can you know boast of who i am today or what i have today you know is the words you know she's she said to me to say oh you are this mm. right this is who you are right and there is no one who knew me more than my mom did and she would tell me oh this is you this is who you are this is why i love you this is why you know this is why you're so special <laughs> this is why you're different as you say it and you know yeah so it's um i'm i'm like i'm i'm that in so many sense that um, embodiment of um, that legacy and um, exactly that person she dreamed that I would I would become mm. and by extension uh, to be honest just just hearing you speak um i believe it, even myself and listeners as well are has beneficiaries of that example that she's you know shown and lead of love and sacrifice and um investment in other people as well and believing yeah. in them so you know thank you very much henry for for sharing that i wanted you to just again still on this topic of grief and what would you say to your mom like you know just now given the fact that all these amazing things that quote unquote you you've done and of course like you're grateful but if you, you had a chance to send her a note or something or mm. if she was here what would you tell her i really don't um i've never thought of what i would tell her i would what i always think about is what she would say right it's like it's it just it makes so much that has happened you know worth even less that she's not here right in terms of oh you know i got this oh you know i got that oh this thing happened in my life and so and what i just think about is huh i wonder how she would have reacted to this mm. hmm, i wonder how she would have said i've never thought about what i would say mm. what i've always thought about was what she would say What do you think she would say?
Gish say she always knew. <laughs> or she would say she was proud. Or she would pray for me. Or she would wish even greater things to happen. Maybe any of those things or all of them and even more. Mm. Wow. Thanks, Henry, for, for, for sharing that and giving us um, such deep insights. And um, thanks for being the incredible person you are, um, for pushing through. And even though life's had its, its ups and downs, still investing in other people and still keeping on going. On a final note, you've had these ups and downs. You're, you know, at this point where you can take a, a, a look at where you've come from, where you are right now. Tell me, what are you um, most proud of mm. so far, looking back? I think, looking back, I've, I'm proud of... I've, I'm proud that I stay true to, you know, certain principles that define my life, even when I didn't know that I was, you know, I had, um, you know, it was um, these principles that I was staying true to, right? So it was when I had like Odenaka, for instance, come into my life that, you know, she had, she had all those kind of education where, you know, they have all these principles outlined and this, you know, so. She, when she came into my life, that was when we started trying to name all these things. <laughs> but before then, before then, I, I was just doing my own stuff, as I've always known, right? Yeah. You know, but I'm grateful that um, I've consistently stayed true to these mm -hmm. principles. And um, I'm thankful for, you know, all the experiences, people that have helped me stay true to them. Um, speaking about Odinaka, um, I've, I've had the privilege <laughs> of, of of meeting her and, and speaking to her, and she's just like a soldier in a sense, right? Like, like a, a, a really, a, a, like, like, like a like a strong partner and um, yeah. encourager, and um, yeah, someone to rest like your shoulder, like your your shoulders on and stuff. What would you have to say to all you know, people like Odinaka and your friends and family that have, you know, stayed through, true, or stayed through it all and supported you. Like, if you could say, like, a note, okay, thank you, note, or whatnot. <laughs> you know how people, like, shout out or shout out and things yeah. like that. What would you say to all the supporters and believers and people that you've, you know, yeah, been, it's, have been there before you? It's crazy now, you know, when I think about all the people that have, you know, stayed and supported me through, like, it all and through some of the most difficult time of my life and sometimes i often wonder oh, you know um what i actually did to deserve such outpouring of love and mm -hmm. sometimes i wonder if i do enough to show how grateful i am but um sometimes words and sometimes even actions are not enough to express but um, I hope they know that I'm thankful from mm. the deepest part of my heart and that I know that I I probably wouldn't be where I am 
who I am without that support, without mm-hmm. that love and care. You know, before we had this um, like podcast interview, I wrote yeah. down my own impressions and thoughts of you. I haven't known you for the mm-hmm. last couple of months. And this is why I wrote. Okay. Maybe a bit paraphrased. Okay. When I think of Henry, I think of someone who is both a deep thinker, but very importantly, a doer. Mm. But when I think of him as a friend, he's a wise and supportive person, down to earth, and passionate about giving opportunities to other people to rise. And I just want to thank you very much, Henry, for being um, an incredibly inspiring friend. Um, I watch with awe all the things you're doing, and um, I can only pray for even greater heights for you. And um, thank you for being the person you are, for staying true to yourself, and thank you for coming on this podcast. It's been an honor and privilege. Thanks, Henry. Thank you so much. Um, I told you at the beginning that I was terrified (laughs) of doing this stuff because I had no idea how it was going to turn out, but it was a really enjoyable experience. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for joining us on today's episode. If you like this episode, do us a massive favor and please subscribe, share, and give us a review. We'll be very keen to hear how it went for you. Until next time, please keep sharing your stories. Bye.